The technology likely to have the greatest impact on the next few decades has arrived. You can start building completely new concepts for payments that we've never thought of. Move the need for a financial intermediary to transact value. Bitcoin and the blockchain have an amazing future. This is going to transform society. Hello guys, welcome to another episode of our Industry Insights. My name's Thomas. Some of you may know me as the Crypto Authority Lad. I will be your host for today, and the topic of discussion will be the BC Vault, a hardware wallet made by Realtek Security. What is special about the BC Vault, you may ask? Well, the BC Vault supports an OLED display, it uses a USB-C, and it supports 23 cryptocurrencies by default, and by enabling advanced settings, you can store any, I mean any, ERC-20 token. So a lot of interesting stuff we will be discussing today. With us, we have Alan, their CTO, and Rock, their executive. Welcome, guys. Hi there. Hi, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show and discussing with us the BC Vault. You guys sent us the product. We're in the midst of reviewing it. We did an unboxing for those that want to watch it on Twitter. Uh, so let's get right into it. But before we talk about the BC Vault, I want to hear a bit about Alan. You're one of the founders. Uh, you're one of the people that came up with the idea of BC Vault. Tell me a bit about yourself, how you got into the crypto business, your education, your background. For me, it was just uh, really easy because uh, I was using BBS systems even before internet. I was using modems uh, in the time where connection to a network didn't even mean internet. So I basically started using Linux in 95, 96. And my first uh, connection to internet was basically terminal. No graphic whatsoever, Netscape communicator and so on. And in those times, you really had to do everything by yourself if you wanted to do even the basic stuff as email. Slowly, that enthusiasm progressed into more and more deep knowledge of TCP IP networks, uh, which at that time, again, required quite a lot of self-work knowledge and everything else, because that was not taught in the schools or, or universities. So after I uh, finished high school, which of course was um, computer science high school, I went to University of Maribor, where I did enroll in a general program of computer science because nothing as IT security existed yet. And uh, after many years, I finally found that IT security does exist on some universities. So I finished up as a Master of Science uh, at University of Liverpool in the degree of IT security. So all my life, let's put it like for the last 25 years, is actually connected to networks, security, and all the problems around that. So if I get a computer virus, you're the one to call. <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, I could probably help you out. No, well, not probably, I could help you out, but uh, dealing with uh, computer viruses is long gone on a scale of IT security incidents we have to deal with. Fair. So when did you first bump into crypto? When did you hear about it? How did you get into it? 
because of my involvement in IT security, it was uh, quite early that we have been introduced to crypto uh, because it's really closely related to certificates and PKI. If you look at it, uh, your wallet, your crypto wallet, it's basically a private key for certificate. So it was just natural for us to get involved in something that is so closely related to what we already do. People started using crypto. They didn't understand us, ask questions. And slowly but surely, crypto progressed out of some obscure group to a general population. And of course, all the problems uh, related to IT in terms of security were immediately there in the crypto world. So somebody stole somebody's money because they gained access to his private wallet and stuff like that. Oh yeah, absolutely. All we got to look at is Mount Gox and we were there. It was one of the first examples of these hacks and the security breaches. And I think even up until now, it's one of the biggest ones and the ones people still remember. So what about you, Rock? How did you get into crypto? Well, uh, honestly, the uh, the crypto scene uh, didn't really interest me too much. Of course, uh, I, I had no. Okay, bye bye. <laughs> Thank you very much. I said didn't interest me before, until I met uh, Alan and the team. Of course, I, I knew about Bitcoin. I had some uh, cryptocurrencies, but you know, really in the technical way and all this mining stuff. I, I never went so deep into this. Uh, and uh, then, you know, somehow uh, we, we keep together and we, we meet together with Alan and the team and we start to speak about some projects because my background is in uh, also in electronics development and especially in a business like, uh, you know, the, the project management organization. And we start to speak about some, some projects and Alan start to, to mention you know, the security, how big issue is it, uh, how, how on the market, uh, about uh, how, how the market is with the, with the hardware wallets, uh, what, uh, what is the situation, you know, and I start to be really interested about this and I start to learn more and we, we start to deep, deep, going deeper and deeper in this, uh, in this uh, matter. And then, you know, somehow, you know, you are part of a <laughs> blockchain solution in a way of crypto hardware wallet. And uh, now it doesn't stop. Now all the time are some new projects, some new things. Um, crypto is alive all the time. It's uh, changing, developing, uh, growing. And this is how, how we basically started to, or how I started to be involved into crypto. Absolutely. Blockchain is the future. Yes. It's the new industrial revolution. Exactly. So, okay, you guys, you, Alan, were in security. Rock, you met Alan, you got interested, you both had an interest for crypto. How did the BC Vault come around? Did you guys test other products in the market? Were you like, oh, this is shit? Or were you like, okay, it's good, but we can improve it. We're going to do our own thing. What, what was your thinking? I, I think the best is uh, I will, uh, in one second, I will or one minute, I will explain it. And then the, uh, Alan will continue with this uh, because I, I want to introduce how Alan introduced it to me. And this is how I got really interested in the whole project. Uh, you know, Alan was uh, really frustrated and uh, because he was uh, clearly using uh, the, the other uh, products on the market. And he was really frustrated. You know, I could, I could see it really because he has the knowledge, he has the technical 
uh, understanding of how things are going, and especially in the security matter. And, you know, we were speaking and he explained to me, you know, these are big problems. I, I don't understand it. You know, he was even so deep into that he helped his old colleagues. You know how he's going blockchain. Somebody need uh, to secure some stuff and you say, okay, I have a product. Try this one, you know. And uh, at the end, uh, this caused more problems because all of these people uh, turned back to Alan and say, you know, I don't understand it. It's, it's too complicated. What do I need to do? You know, I... I I, I really not, I don't understand how to put it on, how to secure it. No, there is a warning. I need to delete some things, you know, all this stuff. And uh, he was really frustrated. I say, you know, how is possible in an in a industry like blockchain, uh, there nobody came up with a really easy solution, uh, you know, really easy to use and in the same way to be really secure. And I'm freaking out because, you know, people are a little bit older, let's say older, uh, 40 or 45 plus. And, you know, also they need three triple glasses to, to achieve, to manage uh, some confirmation on the devices. This is crazy. Why? Why nobody can really use a, a big screen or, you know, something that is really easy, easy to use and to be very clear what you're doing and what you are uh, confirming. So basically this, uh, this was how, how I understand it. But maybe, Alan, you could now continue <laughs> in this point. Yeah, thank you, Rock. I must say... I have been using what was on the market. Of course, you have to use something. And my desperation with everything was just so big that I said, we can do that better. We can do that much, much better. And I, I have come to so many obstacles, so many problems with any aspect out there that I just couldn't believe it that this is like treated as a finished product. So out of my frustration... Uh, the idea came that let's develop a product that is much better, that's user-oriented, and that it's not on the level where you have to be a blockchain expert to use it. That was the fundamental drive behind it because people, even in IT industry, don't care what is TCP IP, what is networking. They want to use the product. And it's exactly the same with blockchain. They don't know what is SegWit? They don't know what is legacy. They don't know the difference between the token and the crypto coin or ERC20. They don't want to know it. They just want to use the product. And that was the main motivation behind it. And not to mention things as frustration with, uh, I don't know, 64 character long strings to be viewed on a micro display that, that is smaller than my watch. So that was the drive behind it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, we've reviewed quite a few products up to now. I must say, um, you guys have definitely the biggest screen in our product review. Uh, for the Trezor, uh, we reviewed the Model 1 and the Model T. The Model 1, was the screen was too small. It was an OLED screen. I struggled to see. The Model T... Uh, they had a bigger screen, but it wasn't an OLED display. Again, I suffered, we suffered from that. It was in our review. Um, so I was really happy to see when I unboxed this that it actually had a big screen. Because um, one of my, my comments for the Trezor team was, it's great. Uh, I would advise someone with 20-20 vision to have a magnifying glass. <laughs> <laughs> this is exactly exactly what we are feeling or what we understood it, you know. Yeah, because I, I feel like these big companies, they're missing one key element. They're focused so much on the security and 
keeping the crypto safe because then they've got a liability, which is fair enough. It is important. But you also got to see from the consumer perspective, I want simplicity. I want something simple. I want to click a button and for it to work. I don't want to do a million things. I don't want to have to close a tab, open a tab. Some of the devices we tested, the um, applications looked like they were designed on Windows XP. Like you're a 2018 cryptocurrency blockchain related company. I always say to them, look at Coinbase. We've got no affiliation with Coinbase, but I love the design of their website, how easily it is to use it. I haven't managed to review, I haven't gone through the whole review process of the BC Vault yet, but from the application, I'm really enjoying it. It's simple, simple buttons. I can open my wallets. I can close them. I, I don't have to struggle. So you guys, you've got that done. You, you got that good. Um, however, it isn't perfect. And you will, you will hear about my criticisms later down the line when you read the review though. <laughs> So for our audience, because we've discussed it now, but what is the BC Vault? Can you guys explain what it is, what it does, how it works? Well, I would say BC Vault is a hardware crypto wallet that had one major advantage. And the one major advantage is the knowledge of everything that exists up to the point when you go and create a new product. So yes, Thank you, everybody else that did crypto wallets before us, because that was a knowledgeable input to us, and we don't have to struggle with legacy. That's one of the main problems. If You mentioned Windows XP, right? So when you look at somebody that has legacy of existing products, they have quite hard time doing things differently. Well, we started new. So... When we sat down and said, we're going to go and create a hardware wallet, the first couple of points were the points that you immediately noticed. I said, big display, priority number one, because I'm not looking at small display. That's, that's one of the main important security aspects of the hardware wallet. Why? Because if something happens... It's going to probably happen on your desktop. So if a compromise of desktop happens, why do you have a hardware wallet? Because you will know that what's on the display is something you are confirming. And this was top number one priority. And then we go on with the design and we said, oh, well, you know, what's the other problem that the hardware wallet users have? We said, well, obviously, backup. So how do you back up a crypto wallet? I mean, 24 words that have no security whatsoever to them? That's not our idea of backup. We wanted to have a flexible backup possibility where user decides how secure the backup will be and how many of them he will have. So this is why we introduced micro SD card. Why do you use micro SD card? Because while you can have 120 micro SD card backups if you want to. You can share them with your friends, family, whatever. You can throw them in every every possible um, drawer at home. Of course, you have to do backup each time you create a new wallet, but the flexibility is there. You can have backup which is protected by password, or you can strip the passwords, create the backup, and then put the master passwords back. And have a special backup without any password stored in your safe, for example. And then the story goes on. And we said, well, 
you know, that's all fine. But how do we deal with with segwits and, and legacy addresses? And the obvious answer was, well, we don't bother the user with anything at all if he doesn't want to be bothered with. So we are, I think we are actually the only wallet that shows you one Bitcoin wallet, if you have one wallet, of course. It doesn't matter, SegWit, Classic, Legacy, whatever you call it, it's one wallet. So if you have three Bitcoins and two of them are on your SegWit address and one of them is on your Classic address, it doesn't matter. You have three Bitcoins. You you click send and you send them out. You, you don't want to deal with it. That's not something we expect from the average user to do with. But of course, on the other hand, if you want the flexibility, we give you the choice to either use the classic address or the SegWit address if you want to. And then on, we said, well, you know, there's so many cryptos out there. There's so many ERC-20 tokens out there. Did you know there's like more than 163,000 ERC-20 tokens out there? So how will we support that? Who will do that? Well, the obvious answer was, why don't we implement the custom token and everybody can add whatever token he likes to if he has a need. And voila, we implemented custom ERC-20 token. So advanced users can add whatever tokens they want to where normal users will have the availability of, let me put it like top 20 or top 10 tokens for their uh, usability. And then again, if I touch a little bit more the electronic part, we said, hmm, you know, what's one of the main security issues today? And quickly, the electronic guys came up with the answer and said, random number generation. How do we do it? And I must, I'm, I'm happy to say that actually Rock and Damian came up with their electronic expertise and said, guys, why don't we implement gyro sensor? It's completely random. A user has to shake the device and the random number generated from the shakes of the user can be really treated as a random number. So at the end, we added gyro sensor in a hardware crypto wallet at our expense just to be sure that random number is random. That might look really picky to somebody, but in terms of security, this is really big issue. And as, as you already noticed, we used larger screen, but there's also some very, very important aspect behind the scene in the device itself. And it's called ferroelectric RAM. You, you certainly heard about flash, right? So flash is everywhere, yeah, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Flash has a big issue. It has a limited number of read writes. And if you go over that number of read writes, you will render the flash unusable. That might not happen with a device that uses flash like um, a couple of times, a couple of thousand times. But if you hit it really hard, I mean really hard, you will render it unusable. And our guys, again, uh, Rock and Damian said, hey, there's this ferroelectric RAM, which is not really new. It does cost more money, 
But you know that ferroelectric RAM stores all the data for 100 years without electricity, where flash cannot do that even by a close. And it has read-write cycle numbers, which are like 10 on 29 or something like that. I'm not really sure now. I would have to check. So we said, yeah, we have to use that because we care about the logativity. We care about the user. And what happens if user, for example, stores BC Vault in a really hot safe, I don't know, where it's like 60 degrees because of some reason whatsoever? Well, we don't have a problem because the design of BC Vault was made to last into the future. We, we didn't do the hardware in a way we have to change it next year because we're already hitting the limits. No, we put down a lot more thoughts to how to design the hardware that is going to be usable for the next year and for the next year and for all the ERC20 tokens and for whatever blockchain will bring us in next couple of years. And those are really small examples. And even if you look at the connector, you know, USB-C is bidirectional connector, right? You can use it like, like from this side and from this side. How many times have you destroyed micro USB connector because you pushed it in the wrong way? This is the, oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, oh, yeah. you see, this is the question we asked ourselves, why? Because traditionally, um, you have methodol methodologies like Lean Six Sigma that are used for thinking about such things. It's a Japanese way of overthinking. And they have this saying, I think it's called poke yoke, which, which actually dictates that everything should be made in a way where user cannot wrongly connect a connector. And this is why we said, guys, USB-C. It's more expensive. We have to pay more. But the frustration for the user goes away. Whatever cable, whatever site, it works. So that was the general idea in rough of how to do things with BC Vault. I love it. You guys really went both sides. You went for the security. You tried to do your best to create a secure product while at the same time, considering the end user and how he's going to interact with the product on a daily basis. Um, so congrats for that. Um, not many companies have done that in the space. Um, so you're ahead in that area. Now I want to go back a bit to the basics, uh, because many of our users, okay, this is interesting to them, but most of them don't understand how a hardware wallet works. I keep getting the classic question. Oh, so is my crypto on the actual device? And the answer is no. Do you mind explaining? Yeah, I mean, you, you've touched the very fundamental problem of crypto. I already mentioned that for us working with PKI, private key infrastructure, crypto just came naturally. But for anybody else, they, they, they have this feeling that, uh, uh, as you said, that the money is really on the device itself. Uh, well, it's not. So if you really want to understand the fundamental principles of crypto to a lay person, which are really important for him, you have to tell him that the crypto wallet is nothing more than two strings. The first string is a public string, is your address. And the second string 
is a private key, which actually looks like your address, let's say, but is private. You have to keep it private. Why? Because blockchain means that the data who has what on which address is recorded out there on a ledger. And the private key only gives you access to change the record on the ledger, nothing else. So, for example, if you look at the Bitcoin wallet, you don't have anything on your crypto wallet but the public address and the private key. Everything else is in the ledger. So it says that this and this address had this many and this many transactions. And let's simplify a little bit and say you have three Bitcoins available. If you want to spend those three Bitcoins, you have to create a transaction where, where you say, from my address, the public address, I'm sending this amount of Bitcoins, maximum three, to this Bitcoin address, and I will sign that with my private address. What does signing means? Signing means that all this data will be actually signed in a way where somebody can check that, that this was really signed properly. And that's it. I mean, once you send this message out, this transaction out to the blockchain, the blockchain checks that you have the right private key to do it in a way where, of course, they don't have your private key, but they are able to confirm it. Okay. So and that's it. So that's the basic idea. So basically, I hold a key that allows me to change information on a public ledger about a specific address, which I hold my crypto in, basically, and only I have access to it. And then I'm basically keeping safely that private key. Exactly. That's that's 100% correct. There you go, guys. So we got there. We explained to you guys how it's <laughs> done. The important is it's unplugged, you know. It's a really hard to wear. Uh, uh, not wireless or Bluetooth connected, you know, and this is for us the, the, the main uh, issue, né? because if you, if, you, if you allow somebody to be or allow the device to be connected through Bluetooth or, or, or uh, wireless connectivity, it, it's another problem again, you know, it's somebody can access to your private keys on your hardware device. Absolutely. We actually wrote an article on this explaining what the difference between hot storage, cold storage in terms of storing your crypto is and all of these hardware wallets the element that makes them cold storage is the fact that they are not connected to the web and by allowing them to gain that access you're basically removing that cold storage element however some companies have decided to go bluetooth i had an interesting conversation with the ceo of ledger last week that podcast isn't live yet it'll be at the end of the month but their next version the now but basically, the new one that's about to come out and that we're going to be reviewing in March is going to have Bluetooth capabilities. He went very technical on the matter and explained how even if someone does compromise that Bluetooth connectivity, the security of the whole device will remain intact. Is that something you guys would be considering in the future, adding Bluetooth connectivity? Well, um, let me put it like that. I wouldn't uh, generally speak against Bluetooth per se. I don't uh, want to say Ledger made the wrong decision because I don't think they did the wrong decision. 
They just made a decision which currently we don't agree on. And I will tell you why. Because a hardware crypto wallet is a long-term storage of your value. Hardware crypto wallet is not something you use to pay for pizza. As analogy, look at the bank card. So you have an ATM bank card, which you can use in everyday life. And on the banking account, you have, well, it doesn't really matter. You have some amount of money. If you have a savings account, this savings account is not accessible with the banking ATM card where you have maybe two minutes to transfer money from savings account to banking account to spend it. And this is exactly what hardware crypto wallet and your mobile phone software wallet are. So you have to differentiate that the hardware crypto wallet as a basically high security model, HSM called uh, in, in the world of PKI has number one priority of storing your private key as safe as possible, not accessible by any other means, but the one single way in and out, like with really strong customs and border checks and everything, where your software wallet has to be more accessible, it has to be easy to use, right? You just click it and you pay for pizza. So if you think in a way of why you are using the hardware wallet, there is not really much sense to use Bluetooth. Why? Because there is other things that Bluetooth brings. And one for sure is a battery. Once you put the battery in a device, that's a whole other ball game. You have to charge it. You have to maintain it. It will die slowly. Anyhow, even lithium batteries, you have a lifespan and so on and so on. And you have to ask yourself, is this something you're going to go with? Because it might be that if I'm a really big holder, I have like 100 Bitcoin or I have like 10,000 Bitcoin because this is a cold storage of a big exchange. Do I have, do you want to have a battery in there? Do I want to have a wallet after five years stored in a safe that, well, doesn't work because there's that battery in it or something? So you have to think about a lot of aspects before you make such decisions. Yeah, absolutely. But I think it comes down to what the company's aim is. For example, speaking with the CEO of Ledger, their decision was based on the fact that they want to have the Bluetooth capabilities for the users that need to use and get access to that account on the go. They're not doing it for long-term storage. And I think this is where you guys differentiate. You guys call yourselves, um, your logo, your slogan is, wallets are for pocket money, vaults are for safekeeping. So are you guys differentiating in that respect? Are you saying we're long-term storage? Yeah, I would say we currently developed a wallet for long-term secure storage of your crypto assets we feel that the current implementation of bluetooth or wireless or whatsoever is still not on pair with what we would like to offer to the user as a everyday wallet so 
we do think about it a lot, but we did not come up yet with a solution where we would be happy internally. And if we are not happy, we're not going to do it. So we, we do not try to do it as everybody else does. As you can see, we are not using BIP standard for wallet generation and so on. So really different on every aspect. We don't copy. We try to do it better. And if we cannot do it better, we, we try yeah. more. Well, you know, it's the same the problem or the problem. The idea is, of course, uh, you want uh, to use it every day. And uh, with a BC wallet, you can use it every day. This is not a problem. You, you, you saw and you... Uh, the application, what you have is very simple. You can use it uh, uh, to, to accept it, to send it, uh, your cryptocurrency. And of course, the aim is to use it, not only to put it for five years aside and, you know, forget it, but you can do it. The same question, you know, is like, why, or a question, we were thinking about this and was a huge theme also. Why should we put a, 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 a touch screen, you know? And yes, of course, we could do touchscreen, but does it, you know, uh, is this what a product uh, difference or because of that, a product would be much, much safer, better, easier of use? Because, you know, the only thing what you do is you need to confirm, you need to check, you need to see. So we come up, you know, make no sense to implement another point of failure because, you know, touchscreens can easy go fast. Uh, you, you, easy is problem with them because they, you cannot use it or they go broke or I, I don't know what happens. Man. So for that reason, the same. Bluetooth, yes, why not? Maybe, probably, we don't know. But in this stage, we, we think it's, you know, another, another aspect of... Why, why we should do it? Absolutely. It's pros and cons. you got to decide. For example, when we were testing the Model T and the Model 1 from Trezor, I liked the Model 1, but I really didn't feel like comfortable with the buttons. I felt like they were a bit flimsy. In comparison, I loved the touchscreen they had on the Model T. It was easy to use. It was lovely. On the BC Vault, I'm loving the buttons you guys have. Thank you. The pin feature requiring an up, down, left, right combo. Awesome. I love how you can use that. You have your password and your pin with that. I do feel like it's an extra element of security for the average user. And you guys have your, you also got a global password, a global pin to access the device. But then you also have individual passwords and pins for each different wallet. What was the reason behind that? Why the added layer of security? Like, yeah, it's security, but that involves the user remembering four sets of passwords, doesn't it? Yeah, well, not really. Not really. So we, again, thought about what the user wants to do. So we said, okay, user might have just a password, or he might have a password and a PIN, or he, she might want additional password on some separate wallet. So we implemented in a way where you cater everything. Um, I'm not sure if you are aware, but you can use empty password and empty pin for, for everything if you want to. So what this means is you have a global password and a global pin to lock the complete device as it is, meaning that any backup of any wallets, even without any password, any PIN, will be protected by this password and PIN, the global one. And then if you want to have additional password and PIN on a separate wallet, why? Well, 
Think about multisig, for example. Why do people want to have multisig? Because actually they want to lock access to certain funds between two or three people. With our methodology, you can do that. Simply, you give the global PIN to, get, to, some, to person A. You give the global password to person B. And then you give the global, uh, sorry, the wallet password to somebody else and the wallet pin for somebody else. You need four people which you can duplicate or triplicate, meaning you, you can have a pool of 12 people out of which four of them have to be on site to be able to make a transaction. Did you think about it when you, when you saw the feature? Yeah, well, what I'm thinking right now, this is perfect for husbands with wives that love shopping. <laughs> Honey, here's my, here's the BC vault. You go, you can spend as much as you want. She only has access to one wallet. You put your savings in another wallet. She can't buy anything. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's lovely. If you smart, if you look, smart. if you look at it from the company perspective, you you know what happened to uh, to Quadriga, right? So the the, the CEO passed away and took all the passwords away. Nobody has a password, a problem. It's a liability. It's a problem of running the company, not actually the crypto. But think about it. With, would they use something as BC Vault? A CEO would have a global password and PIN, and somebody else would also have a global password and PIN, and then a, a person would have a wallet, ad, uh, sorry, wallet password, and another person would have the wallet pin, and maybe they would be able to deposit a copy of that at a notary or something. Problem solved. I mean, nobody controls everything, but it's still accessible in case it needs to be. And that was the idea behind it. Why? Because with BC Vault, you can have like unlimited numbers of any wallets. So you, you are not limited. You can create one Bitcoin wallet and then five Ethereum wallets and two more Bitcoin wallets or whatever. And because of that, it makes sense that those wallets can have different usages. And because of different usages, you might feel you need additional security. But if you don't feel like it, no problems. Use empty password, use empty pin on a wallet, and just use the global one. No problem. You can do that. And still, everything will be encrypted with the data you use for the global password and pin. And the combination of both is what gives you a security. Because, obviously, you don't feel comfortable entering a 10-character combo of ups and downs and left and rights maybe, but you can be comfortable of using a long sentence for the keyboard typing in the application on the desktop. So if you combine those two, you have a brute force protection because of the long password and the sniffing malware, my desktop is compromised protection by the combination of the device itself. So this this was, again, the security question. How do we do it? How do we level it toward the user? And I think we manage it really greatly, where where user can do whatever he wants to, Absolute. from the basic to, to advanced. 
Absolutely. You guys have actually nailed it uh, because you're not only looking at the average consumer, your average Joe with his wife, Lucy, that wants to do shopping. You're looking at a big company that needs to have these capabilities of entrusting multiple individuals with access. Exactly. So, so you've really done your homework and I'm, I'm really impressed. Uh, the more I speak to you, the more impressed I am. And this is not because they're doing a giveaway <laughs> with us, guys. This is this is I'm actually impressed with these guys now. Let's uh, look at the elephant in the room. Uh, I'm sure you're going to come with some excuse about how super secure it is, but you've really put uh, your money where your mouth is with the one Bitcoin held in the device. I'm assuming now that you've put the same private key in all the BC vaults. You haven't put that many different Bitcoins out there, have you? (laughs) Yes. um, Actually, you touched two really important things now. The first one you already cracked. When we explained what a wallet is, crypto wallet is, you already explained that what we had to do is, well, put a private and a public key on each BC vault to be able to offer a locked down wallet. So yeah, you've nailed that. The second one is that, yes, every single BC vault has the same one for a certain reason. Every single BC vault out there is identical. There is no way for us to distinguish one from another. Would we have a smart way of doing different private addresses for every single BC vault out there? We would have a way to distinguish it. And you don't want to have that, right? You want to have anonymous crypto wallet. It would also be very costly because you need one Bitcoin per user. Well, that, that's for sure. So I'm, I'm not trying to say we would do it otherwise. I'm just trying to say that we yeah, absolutely thought about that. And yes, so every single BC vault out there has a private key and a public key. The public key, of course, can be seen. You can check that the wallet really has one Bitcoin in it. Uh, stored as all other wallets on the device, meaning your wallets. So in, to be able to use it, to, to like crack it, you would either have to guess the, the global, uh, well, not the global, sorry, the global is yours. You would have to guess the, the, the wallet pin and the wallet password and use it or find any other means to, well, decrypt Break the it. private Break key. It. <laughs> Break the key. And the thing is that if you are able to break the private key somehow, uh, while crypto world's gonna change because, well, actually everybody else gonna change the algorithms because of that. Because we don't store unencrypted, I mean really unencrypted private keys or passwords anywhere at any time. We don't store it, never. I'm sure you saw what happened with wallets.fail, where I'm not going to mention any names, but they did manage to get unencrypted 24 words used for all the wallets uh, from the device. That's not possible with our wallet because we never store it unencrypted because our storage and a processor is separated. Those are two different devices. So we don't have a need to to unencrypt it 
and then do upgrades, for example, and then encrypt it, uh, encrypt it again. We, we, we have no need for that because the data is stored in, a, in, in ferroelectric RAM outside the main CPU. Nice. You, you know your stuff. So have you engaged in vigorous testing? Have you hired hackers? Have they tried to break in? Yes, actually, up to now, a lot of people tried to gain access, uh, tried different methods, looked at the data and everything else. And up to now, nobody, well, gained the access. Of course, it's a matter of how much money and how much time you spent to gain the access. It's always the matter of methodology and the money. I always joke uh, and give uh, an example with the best bank safe there is, which like nobody can open. Well, you know how I'm going to hack it. I'm going to wait for you. And when you try to open it, I'm going to put the gun to your head and say, well, please open it for me. <laughs> so there's always a method that works, <laughs> no matter Sorry. the security. You know, what, what we're trying to achieve is if you look at the risk calculation of how possible it is that that happens and how much influence does that have to security, that's called risk calculation. And you have to cover the, the, all the big risks for sure. All smaller risk, really, really sure too. But the edge cases, you try to cover too, but you will not be able to cover everything. I mean, maybe you heard it first from me, but there's no such thing as unhackable wallet. I always say the same. It doesn't exist. Those are computers. No, we, you can always hack it, you know, <laughs> maybe with a pistol. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> yeah, you know so, uh, it's a pistol the, hack. The BC world is unhackable, you know, and because of that, we put one Bitcoin on. Now, uh, of course, the, the, the price is not really attractive, but, uh, you know, when it was 10,000 euros or, you know, was more attractive to, to somebody really, really try to, to, to hack it or to, to break it in. Uh, but you know, I'm I'm here, and I like uh, like Alan said. I I say you know, this world is unhackable. Try us, you know, take the device, uh, buy it, uh, borrow it. I don't know, and and try to get this Bitcoin, and let us know. You know, we are excited to to see the first one who will do it. I, I've got the perfect solution, guys. Tell me. I, I know how to do it. All I got to do is fly over, take you both out for a couple <laughs> of drinks, and after a couple of drinks, I'll be flying out with That's a Bitcoin. That's a good one. I mean, you just mentioned one of the most important hacking ways, which is social engineering. And this is exactly the point which I'm trying to say. Because the obvious weakest link usually is the user. So we can try as hard as we can, but at the end, if the user sends the funds to the wrong address, what can we do? Nothing. Absolutely. It counts as a hack. I mean, they didn't hack us. They hacked the user. But at the end, the user wants to keep his phone safe. And this is why I say there is probably always a way to somehow gain access. Um, we... We do our best to lock it down. We really try to, to think about everything. If there is possibility and we will know about it in the future, uh, we'll, of course, fix it as soon as possible. But I can never publicly liable say there exists an unhackable product because 
if somebody says unhackable, he's not taken serious mm. by industry specialists. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you guys have uh, two-factor authentication. What do you use that for on the device? Is it for storing passwords on other websites? What is it for? Um, actually, it's U2F. So you, you, you a little bit mixed up the, the, the two uh, uh, words. So it's okay. 2FA versus U2F. And U2F is a standard which is used by Google, Facebook, uh, I think Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever. And you can actually use that with BC Vault. So when you go to your Gmail, you have an option where you say, I want to use two-factor authentication, which you mentioned. This two-factor authentication uses a standard which is called U2F, which we support. And this means that when you go to Gmail and say, I want to use two-factor authentication, you can use BC Vault as two-factor authentication, meaning that when you enable it and you try to log in into your Gmail, Gmail will say, please connect your U2F device. You will connect BC Vault to your computer and Gmail will see it and BC Vault will ask you if you want to confirm authentication to Gmail. You press yes and you are in your Gmail. And the good thing is that for your particular browser, you don't have to use it like every time because you can say, well, this is my home computer. This is my browser. Please don't bother with two-factor authentication anymore. I, I did show you I'm me and that's it. But if you go to somebody else's computer and somebody tries to log into the, your Gmail and has a password, he will not be able to log in before using BC Vault. But and of course, maybe uh, uh, Alan, you can you can add the the, the possibility of backupping it. Né? This is also something really special in the BC Vault. Yes, I mean uh, U2F, which is well known because of YubiKey, for example. Uh, you probably heard of YubiKey. Uh, is backed up by BC Vault backup, meaning if you use U2F authentication on, on Facebook, on, on Gmail, on whatsoever, and you lose your BC Vault, you get another one, you restore your backup, and everything is there. Your two-factor authentication will work. Where with YubiKey, if you lose the YubiKey, game over. <laughs> Finished. I mean, you cannot use it anymore. You have to get in contact with Google and they, they have like a three-day process to see if you are really you to disable the existing U2F uh, authentication. And if you apply that to stock exchanges, which offer U2F, that might be a week or even two weeks. With BC Vault, U2F is part of the backup. So... Any U2F tokens you create on the sites, websites that support U2F standard are part of the backup. So good to go. No, it's, it is an awesome uh, feature. I tested it out on the Trezor. I yeah. personally, I, it was awesome to look at, awesome to use the first time. But after that, it was like, uh, nah, I can't. I, it's it's not for me. It's not for your average Joe. It's it's mostly for someone that's really concerned with the security of their email accounts, their Facebook passwords, all of that. I understand there's many people out there, especially CEOs of big companies like yourself, like Eric Lashevek of Ledger, when they get hacked, or let's say when 
a security firm's CEO gets hacked for them, it's basically embarrassing that that's happened. It's it's mostly for them, but it is an awesome feature. Thank you guys for coming on the podcast. Is it okay if we do a quick fire Q and A? Uh, yes, of course, no problem. Yeah, thank you, thank you for inviting us. No problem. So uh, I'm asking these questions to both of you, and I need quick answers, guys. Like, <laughs> no stalling, no overthinking. Okay, just one one question. How do we not speak at the same time when you said the question? So who will go so first? Who will Alan go second? will go first. Okay. And then the executive uh, will go for a second. <laughs> when he becomes executive director, then he gets to go. Uh. Okay, so he has time to think. Yeah, exactly. You Thank yeah, you. Yeah, Thank yeah, you, yeah. Thomas. <laughs> Let's go. So, first question. What is your favorite project in the crypto space? BC World. BC World. No, you can't, you can't say yourselves. You can't say yourselves. That's oh, cheating. No. Okay. Come on. Uh, protecting one of the well-known crypto exchanges with uh, our knowledge and solution. Uh, Come on. I, I cannot, I cannot offer any names, but you know, there must sorry, be some project are... in crypto that you must be interested in. Oh, okay. Now it's different. So we are not it's, involved. It's, no, no, no. It's a project in the crypto space. Anything. Um, Ethereum. Why? Because of the smartest idea on the planet to implement smart contracts. Okay. Rock, what's yours? Well, very fast to answer. I, I, <laughs> I would say, I would say, let's say Yota, because it's, you know, industry wide spread and, and, you know, we, we really see the potential of, of, of these cryptocurrencies. So, so you're basically trying to go from uh, to entanglement, leaving blockchain. Okay. Uh, Alan, will Bitcoin succeed in overtaking fiat currency as a means for person-to-person payments? Probably yes. Yes. Okay. What is your favorite cryptocurrency? Ethereum. Bitcoin. Oh, Bitcoin is such a classic. No one likes XRP. Come on, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Who is your most inspirational figure outside the crypto space? Uh, Steve Jobs. Okay. Wow, you 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 got me there. If if I if I say if I say Alan Shalamun, is it okay? <laughs> That's asking. Outside That's okay. the crypto space. <laughs> yeah, uh, but he, yeah, okay, but he's not really. Alan, Alan don't give him a, a promotion. He <laughs> no, can't no, no. think on the spot. He had extra time. No, oh, you know this is something extra, extra, extra. Uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Okay. <laughs> That's a stupid answer. <laughs> okay. If you could ask Satoshi one question, what would it be? Why you did it? Uh, which aliens did brought you the source code? <laughs> <laughs> okay. And last question. What is your favorite sports car? Porsche. No, but specifically a model. The Carrera? 911. 911. Okay. And you rock? Wow, I would say uh, it, it's M5 uh, sports car, Alan, BMW M5. In your terms, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Only if you have family and kids, come on. There's better, there's better sports cars than that, come on, another one. I have two kids, I have two kids and you know, a beautiful wife, so uh, greetings to her also. Probably she will listen to this for sure. <laughs> okay. Rock, I stand come with on. my BMW 5 M5. Okay. Alan, do you need to say anything so your wife doesn't make you sleep on the couch tonight? 
Uh, no, I don't have to because uh, she knows I love her. I don't want. I don't have to say it on a technical podcast. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure you both had amazing Valentine's dates the other day. For yeah. sure, it was amazing. <laughs> All right, thank you guys for coming. Um, and uh, we're excited to do the giveaway with you guys. So. All our listeners, stay tuned for that. It's coming up in probably next week. Starting next week, the podcast will be live, and so will uh, the giveaway. Thank you very much for your time, too. 